0: Mind remind you, 007, that Blofeld's dead. Finished. The least we can expect from you now is a little plain, solid
1: work.
2: Welcome back to another exciting episode of the 007 Minute, where each and every other day, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we go over one minute of one of my favorite James Bond movies, the 1971 James Bond feature "Diamonds Are Forever." I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com,
0: and I'm host number two, Mark Cerulli of CovertOps.tv.
2: And today we've got a very special guest, uh, one of my one of my personal friends, and uh, very happy to know him. Uh, Tom Geyer is a uh, a musician, a composer, an arranger, a a uh, part-time director and uh, pretty much jack-of-all-trades at Brand X Music, uh, which is a, a, a foundry for lots of commercial uh, music that, that you'll hear in uh, on many national and local uh, commercials and feature films and trailers and all kinds of stuff. So welcome, Tom, back to
1: the show. Thanks, Jance. Glad to be here.
2: And uh, we get to talk to you right here as the, uh, uh, the Maurice Binder uh, special uh title sequence comes in there by this time in 1971 they'd become kind of a, a a standard people expected a great song a great uh opening a great you know great special effects watching names flying by the screen we've got a lot of them in this particular minute so um but let's let's talk a little bit about the uh the composer here John Barry we're back to uh we're, he's he's come back to do uh, to do music after doing uh uh on our majesty's secret service although that was a uh, purely instrumental and they're going back to the formula
0: yeah, they 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 their can't uh, can't lose formula of uh uh just his incredible music and Shirley Bassey.
1: It worked uh, worked before. I I was reading a little thing about it that uh the director actually hated the tune and uh that it was one of the producers uh that that went to bat to actually have it back in and then you know of course it became a a good record for them and made a lot of money and so uh, you know, for once the, the, I guess it was what the, the producer and the co-producer were battling over and not the director here, but uh, love Shirley Bassey, yeah. love what she did. And, you know, when, I, 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 I don't know how old you guys are, I'm a bit younger than you perhaps, but the the silhouetted woman title sequence was enchanting, titillating, fascinating, and always had, you know, that great music. So as a as a uh, an impressionable young uh, young musician guy, it, it had so much going on in these opening title sequences. And any time Bassy was singing, it was just even better for me. So really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those really yeah. those
2: really familiar uh, John Barry, the staccato horns and and just that pacing. It feels it feels like a Bond movie just hearing the song.
1: Absolutely, Absolutely.
2: Uh, And John, John Barry is no stranger to this. I mean, he's indirectly, he's kind of one of the co-composers of the James Bond theme. Monty Norman gets the credit for the melody, but he's the one that sort of uh, brought it into...
1: Kind of rearranged it. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the story goes that he uh, they were living with whatever um, the other guy had done for the score throughout. And most of it was instrumental. None of it was jazz. None of it had that, what we would all associate with what you know, James Bond sounds like, and so Barry, who was a trumpet player, uh, was into jazz and into that kind of orchestration and arrangement, so they they brought him on, you know, much like today, you'd bring a pop producer on, you know, you'd, you got this track that uh, a, a film composer had written, but you needed to sound like a Britney Spears record, so you hire a Britney Spears producer to reimagine your, you know, movie theme, and so... Uh, In a way, they did this originally with him to rethink the James Bond theme that they weren't happy with and being the jazz guy, you know, he put his nine horns together, seven saxophones in his rhythm section and they went for it. And so as that became sort of the sound of Bond musically as we went on, uh, you know, the fact that this was written as we'd love to hear the original kind of. I'm sure that it's in Dr. No somewhere. You can hear the unadulterated version of what the theme was originally, but it's become so iconic with that brass voicings and all of that. So, again, Shirley Shirley's voice, sexy women floating in space against a black background, and Diamonds. that cool brass voicing. Dude, we're in. Yeah. We're in. We're in no, for James yeah, Bond. Let's go.
2: It, it, it's an interesting – I mean, we've – the big selling point of this movie was that uh sean is back as james bond so we get we get that big bigger than any other credit i think it's bigger than the title you see sean connery
0: <laughs> and that was an uh an incredible uh deal for that that time that the yeah that no kidding
2: <laughs> mark how uh, do you know how uh, maurice got involved with uh with bond i mean was he just one of the i mean he didn't he'd done things previously like mask you know uh, charade and uh Gosh, millions of other titles, but how did he wind up with? uh...
0: Uh, He was he was in right from the the beginning of uh, back in Doctor No. He he came up with the uh, the The, the uh, dots and all the gun barrel. And uh, I just uh, I think uh, it blanked out for a second. But uh, I think we should talk a little about Connery's incredible deal. I mean, one point two five million. To come back, which was what uh, year? This was
1: seventy-one.
0: This was nineteen seventy. So that was that was huge, huge money back then, and uh, and and it really says a lot about him that he donated all of it to to uh, endow uh, his uh, his chapter, Scottish International Education Trust, and it which still goes to this day.
2: Yeah, it's still, it's still yeah. running along. Um,
0: and then he did. They they also. Uh, UA offered to make I think three films of his choosing and the only one I think that got made was The Offense which was directed by Sidney Lumet but apparently it was, is, was a great film
2: hmm. well he got he got what he wanted and, and... <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no
0: kidding yeah. but... oh he also he also hated the long shooting schedules so they had a pretty tight shooting schedule for Diamonds and he had it written into his contract that if it ran over he would get 10000 a week Extra. So believe Damn. me, it did not run over.
1: <laughs> under time, <laughs> under budget. That's how we yeah. want. Yep. Yep. Crazy.
2: This is back while they were doing it. I mean, it's basically an American and British uh, co-production. Mm-hmm. Half of the half of the stuff was shot in the Nevada desert and in La- and Las Vegas, and then the other part uh, was this Pinewood still. Was, was oh yeah. Still at, Pinewood. Yep. Yeah, so. So they're doing all this stuff at Pinewood. So you'll see in these in the early parts of the credits, you'll see a lot of pairings of of people. You'll see so assistant directors, uh, Derek Cracknell and uh, Jerome Siegel. Uh, Derek- Cracknell
0: is famous for, um, it was uh, Aliens. Yeah. He, he went head to head with James Cameron because uh, he said, oh, no, no, I know what they want. And this was Cameron's first movie and he felt it slipping away. So he fired Derek Cracknell. But Cracknell had been around forever. He had worked on a lot of iconic British films.
2: Yeah, Clockwork Orange. He did uh, mm-hmm. two thousand one. He was big. Yeah. He's really tight with uh, Kubrick, and then. Uh, uh- Jerome Jerome Siegel, not not to be confused with Jerry Siegel, is uh he, he's mostly a TV um, American TV maker. He did Mission Impossible, Dan August, Kung Fu, that mm. kind of stuff. So he was he was used to the week to week television schedule. So that's why a lot of the American stuff looks more like a TV show, and mm. the British things look more like you know, Clockwork Orange. Because that's kind of what stuff.
1: they were doing day in and day out, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So a lot of a lot of work a day stuff there. Um, we're, we see that also with um, yeah, the camera operators. Bill Johnson worked on a lot of the uh, American, like you know, Streets of San Francisco kind of thing. Where Bob Kindred was, uh, he worked on Fear, Your Eyes Only, Live and Let Die, a lot of the, you know, the other, a lot of the uh, the Moore ones, Man with the Golden Gun. But he also worked all the way back to From Russia with Love. And uh, you know, he was familiar. So the ca- the camera looks will be in uh, on the non-American ones will look more like a movie, and the American ones <laughs> will look more like Streets of San Francisco an amazing pile of of talent. Peter Lamont,
0: who was, you know, he was around uh, the Bond series forever, and uh, uh, he also did Titanic. He did those magnificent sets on Titanic.
2: Wow, yeah, and uh, Bill Johnson, who was... uh he worked on Diamonds, but he, he also did a lot of British stuff like uh, Raise the Titanic and things like that. But he, uh, on the U.S. side, he also worked on Cat in the Hot Tin Roof, and he was one of the big promoters of Cinerama. He did, uh, he's uncredited, but he did How the West Was Won, all that uh, bow tie vision. where figuring out how to, in in Cinerama, which is a, an extremely widescreen format, you can't, the, the actors can't look at each other because it doesn't look right on a curved screen. So yeah, it doesn't line up
1: across the curve.
2: Yeah, so he had to figure out where the eye lines would be and then tell the director, no, what you want to have, you know, turn Jimmy Stewart about 30 degrees to the right. Now you got it. So he had to do all that kind of stuff.
1: These are the pioneers Uh, right here.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, they really, you know, they earn their bones quite well. uh, And and it shows up in, in a movie like this. I was trying to find out something about the diamonds, whether, you know, how many of these things are just actually big glass rocks and how much was real, but there's not a lot of not a lot of detail on that. Do you know anything about the, the gems themselves, Mark? I,
0: I would imagine those are uh, cubic zirconium or, or some variation. of glass you know. things, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the the fellow that's listed way up front in the titles, the production by Ronnie Qualch. he's uh, I think we we call him a prop guy or art director nowadays. But what he did was he, yeah, he was a, he, he didn't like he didn't build things, but he went out and bought stuff, that bought them right,
0: like, yeah, yeah. For, and furniture and stuff. I met him when we did the uh, documentaries. He was he was working on Goldeneye, so he was part of that series. You know, all those years.
2: Yeah, and there, his basic job is to go out into like antique shops yeah, and prop yeah. stores and say, oh, that looks like a rocket ship, or that looks like a ray gun. Let's use this.
0: And there's some I'm, great. you know, I mean, you look at you look at this film uh there's so many great little uh prop touches uh you know like when we get to uh the slumber on mortuary there's like a tiffany lamp sitting on the table i mean just great stuff
1: just set dressing galore yeah. that puts you right in in the place and the time mm-hmm. it's, it's so excellent and you know car Where, who's the car guy Has he got his credit in the front here i can't remember
2: Uh, He might be on the next Next – he might be tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow, okay. (laughs) Because to
1: me, I think James Bond, I think music, I think song, I think girls, I think exotic locale, and I think what's the iconic car from the film, right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, there's so many things involved in what makes the tapestry of one of these movies, and it's all of these people – Coming together with all of their little mini decisions that created this world that you know grew up into this thing. How long has it been going now? How many years? Forty, oh fifty years? Oh my god,
0: uh, seventy years? Something? <laughs> five, fifty-six years
1: now. And that gun barrel comes up, and that but Man, we're in. That's yeah. a, a world with five notes and one little pic, piece of picture. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing.
2: And, and it sets the deepest parts of your brain on fire. Yeah. You're just like ready to roll. Let's go. The movie. I don't care if yeah. it's
1: Duran Duran. I mean, okay, <laughs> not my favorite version, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it does it does hold water throughout the decades for sure. Do you, Do
2: you have a favorite theme of all? The, I mean, there's there's dozens to choose from on on, on of the Bond series. Do you have a, a particular? For me, one? Uh,
1: this one is definitely up there. It, it's very similar to Moonraker. Mm. You know, I mean, just a little bit of the same trope. Uh, Doctor No was great. Um, and I love Skyfall. You know, you can, yeah. you can mock me yeah. on it, but Skyfall, Thomas Newman knocked it out of the park. Uh, Adele's theme was awesomely delivered, and I love that film. So it, I don't know if it's because it's recent... That's that's my non-nostalgia favorite and I'd say this is probably my nostalgia favorite here.
2: Thanks for not saying uh, all-time high.
1: Mm. So I, uh yeah, you know there there's some low points in the thing. There's nothing we can do about it, right?
0: Yeah, it's uh, well, uh yeah, I, But I, they're I, still I, love them or hate them, they're all so beautifully done. No they
1: are, no, they are and they don't spare any expense yeah. and they, I mean, don't they deliver sound what rich you expect. And...
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, for me, yeah, you only live yeah. twice. That was... I absolutely love that song. Is that yours? Yeah. Although this is right up there. I mean, I just this is a great tune.
1: And and what was cool about these was they were done um, with the mentality of it being part of the picture. You know, when Jim approached me about guesting, we were kind of kicking around the fact that today. If you look at a movie like Titanic, you know, that was probably one of the last great examples where either the theme of the film as written by the composer had been lifted and lyrics applied and then produced as a pop record, right? Um, this obviously is the model. This is where that idea came from. And we've seen it in, you know, Can You Read My Mind from Superman? We've, you know, we've seen this, you know, hundreds of times through the years. Now, it's much more of a business agreement between the movie studios and the record label of, who are you trying to break what song do you want to put forward you know it's all of this uh product placement stuff if you do that and they wear the nike's and drive the toyota truck we can drop that single and that's going to be what we're going to stick on the end roll of the movie right it's a very calculated and produced sales package where not that that wasn't done you know they weren't thinking about money of course they were but it was much more of a symbiotic art form that happened between the music, the songs that were part of the music that were also part of the movie, and then promoting it as a soundtrack. And now you even see they have you know a soundtrack album, which is a bunch of songs that aren't even in the movie, and the two songs that are in the movie that you do actually want to hear. And then if the composer's lucky, they'll do a second album that contains all of the underscore, and then sometimes they do one record where it's a bunch of songs you don't know, the two songs you want, and then four tracks from the poor composer that got forgotten, right? It was really a, a golden time in cinema where these composers were also the rock stars and also the songwriters and collaborated with genius lyricists. And so I really love this period of time, and, and this, this, you know when I get to work on something, it's always, hey, they talked to Pharrell yesterday, and we're going to use that thing, so you know, listen to what he's doing and try to slip any of that you can as you write the music oh, man, <laughs> this is a whole different animal here. So it's, there, there's a lot of nostalgia and a lot of uh, intent and a lot of uh, honoring the music and what its place in the film is that goes on even today with the James Bond franchise. So that really makes it special to a guy like me as well.
2: Uh, Tom, you've, we've talked in the past about how much room they leave for um, for music or, or leaving the music out and letting the, letting the scene speak for itself. Mm. as you watch diamonds i don't know if you've watched the whole thing recently but to me it seems kind of soundtrack heavy like every
1: it seems to have every beat in the in in the well show. again you know by this time uh, has become something that everybody wants to hear and so what happens is you know To get these little where the composer feels compelled to throw little nods and winks and then you have the filmmakers that you know you're watching the playback during a meeting and they go you know it would be great just give us one of those moments right there when they jump off the cliff and then the composer goes oh god we did that you know a reel ago do we have to do that oh that's that's such iconic and so the filmmakers get excited about your compositional motifs and they start sliding them in here and there and you, you very quickly because you've got something that's popular the music as well as the film as well as sean connery as well as you know him saying money penny these all become tropes that you expect in the context of a film and sometimes the tropes can outweigh kind of like the greater story arc that a composer would do if he wasn't trying to deal with his own hits right and so i feel like this is a film where they might have been a little in love with the material and spread it on a little too thickly, and in, in my opinion, you know. But you can't really blame the composer. That that can come from anywhere on the production team, from the you know executive producers all the way down to the to the film editor who's whispering in the director's ear while they're cutting, you know.
2: Yeah, I, I guess it 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 is a bit operatic. I mean, well, the, <laughs> the every every action scene has to be accompanied by lots of brass and yeah i don't know if it's if it's if the audience is expecting that and you know like who's who's driving that boat it's,
1: it's it's a it's a guessing game you know you sit in these meetings and and you're all trying to anticipate what the reaction of the people seeing it for the first time will be, and you've seen it a hundred times already right and so that that's always the trick is what are people gonna think when we do this and and you get you can really get caught up in a circle of second guessing and i have I have no reason to think it was any different back then than it is today other than that these guys are turning around you know. You go to a meeting, they make a fix, they got to go back to their pencil and paper, and hopefully they haven't recorded the orchestra yet. You know, now it's like they make the fix, we go back to Pro Tools, we grab the orchestra, we Mm. move it up a half step, and we reprint it, right? There were no Pro Tools back then. There was none of that stuff. And so literally, you know, we've talked about this before, that's where these terms cut and paste came from. Hey, bar three, the guy put it on a mimeograph print it out, slice it with a razor blade and like literally put that on the score and tape it into measure eight and then they re-give those parts to the orchestra. So, you know, the technology available to make changes in the last minute. So these guys really had to... Go in with the idea of what they were going to do, and they got kind of one shot at it, and then they kind of had to live with what they got, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, you, were,
2: you were going to go say, Tell the eight uh, cellists out in the hallway, can you just hold on for another half an hour? We're going to figure yeah, this we're out not, and come back here.
1: Yeah, we're not sure what he wants, and I think we were getting close. So if you guys, you know, because that's <laughs> you know, 325 bucks a session per three hours plus union, blah, 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 yeah. blah, right? It gets real expensive when you got 80 guys in a $3,000 a day studio. It's uh, it's it's really interesting to watch this and to listen to the choices. And, you know, music in some ways has gotten more subtle. And then you go hear Dunkirk and you go, man, music is 120 dB uh, louder than anything else in my world. So uh, you can feel the, the – to me, this is how it's not aged well because the way you would score a film like this today is different than what we hear when we watch this. So it's always fascinating to me to hear, and that's orchestration choices, mix choices – how over the, as you say, he jumps off the ski thing and flies through the air for a second and we get that bomb out You know, you wouldn't play it like that today. And if you did, you'd do it on purpose to try to be funny to reference James Bond, right? It's kind of it's it's turned into a joke of itself but to go back to the source and watch is so fascinating
2: yeah it's uh, where, where we're at now like you were saying everything's pretty much pushed up to 11 uh, who would you consider a dynamic or, or like of a, of a recent one where would you see a little bit of dynamism where people are pulling back the music and then you know letting it come in and breathe a bit have you seen anything recently uh, that you've seen I mean, that
1: force awakens was magic i mean it's john williams hitting hard you know uh, i'm sorry last jedi yeah. rather uh it's what happens when you have... It's a good example to me, whether you liked the movie and hated the movie and what they did with it. I don't want to get too off track here, but great example of iconic themes, The best, one of the best composers working, you know, even in his 80s at the top of his game, and a set of filmmakers that handle that material with a bit of reverence, and yet, if it doesn't do the work, it doesn't have a place in the film. And so it was such a nice balance. when When they let him roll... He rolls, and when they want him to mumble and stay out of the way, you know, if you listen to the music naked, there's a lot going on, but they've done it and mixed it in a way that it doesn't intrude. And so they're really good at that. Um, What else did I see? I thought Get Out. Did you guys see this? Oh yeah, my yeah. god, get yeah, out was yeah. great. Yeah. You know,
2: a fantastic use of the little the little stingers, but not over everything isn't isn't done. done you know, you're not getting the psycho uh, violins at every and moment. And an interesting
1: it's, palette that was a little different than your normal thriller score. I mean they okay, they zapped you with a cat out of the closet a couple of times. You gotta have that. Yes, but overall yes. it was a really interesting way to score a Bernard Hermony kind of classic thriller film, right? And so yeah. Uh, the lyrics me, in
0: Swahili, if I remember correctly, from oh, I reading n-
1: about it. N- no which, kidding, man. It
0: was really well done. I love that Really, theme. really
1: cool. So, you know, here's an example of, they. They, when you get to this number in a franchise, you really don't have a lot of room to work. You know, I've done work with some of these composers on, you know, Transformers 2, 3, 4, right? Mm-hmm. you got new characters to introduce, you've got a new bad guy maybe to roll out, not in this case, but, you know, you've got... Some locales that you're going to have to give a nod to, you know, they didn't do too much of. We see India, so we hear sitar, but they did a quite a bit of that, you know, in these in these films where they're giving you geographic clues by musical coloring, right? And so it's it's kind of interesting to, to watch all that
2: Paris accordions and things like that, and all you know.
1: all of that <laughs> stuff, yeah. And so the the yeah. film composer, you know, today they might license a piece of source music, so we'll go actually get Parisian cafe music, and we'll throw it on in the background as if it was atmospheric, right? The, back in these days, the composer did all of that stuff. So he's going from wall of brass jazz to Parisian cafe music to we're riding camels in Arabia, right? <laughs> and it was really kind of hard because the composer had to have musicians in impl- We didn't have MIDI samples, and we couldn't buy a contact instrument that sounded like a bagpipe, right? We had to find a guy that could freaking play the bagpipe, <laughs>
2: And you know, you know somebody like that. So
1: uh, Maybe I'm training my own. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> wow. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about more about this tomorrow. Uh, we've got more credits to dr- drive through, but we're still having the, that beautiful uh, John Barry score to talk about. So, uh, it, and those it's beautiful
0: naked uh, titles, ladies. The the, the, the lovely yeah, silhouette can... ladies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> which which when you're young, a young teenager, like oh oh,
1: <laughs> couldn't they it's, turn it's, the lights it's, up it's... just a bit? It's it's the only excitement you had when you go to the movies with your parents, <laughs> right? Because right? some, yes. somehow James yeah. Bond was okay to go see with mom and dad, but Porky's yeah. was not, right? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah.
2: You, you know the thing is, some, somewhere somebody has a Blu-ray and go look. There's grandma.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, god. Uh, you know what? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. thanks, thanks for, for ruining that this. very much. All right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's just, I'm uh, looking at this lovely lady with the black choker and the yeah. thing, and I'm yeah. going, yeah, that's Jim's Emma. grandma. Okay, no, no, this is not okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow. Well, let, let's chat some more about this tomorrow. Uh, for folks who want to want to hear previous episodes of this, and we are getting better, so please keep checking back because the, the our guests are definitely improving and, and our, our content is. So uh, check back with us on the big site, uh, 007minute.com, where you can pick up all the previous episodes and also leave us comments about stuff. You can find us on Facebook at... Uh, operation grand slam just look for that and uh, we chat about all things 7 There, not just this movie but other ones find us on itunes and google play uh, under 007 minute you can also get us at the big site 007 minute.com uh it's available just on any of the pages just click on the mp3 and you can download it right into your uh, device so uh, check back with us here uh, day after tomorrow and uh, we will talk some more about uh, John Barry. So be here on the 007 minute. So until next time, say good night, Bert Saxby. Good night, Bert. Bert Saxby.
0: Yeah. Tell him he's fired.